Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Colby, Colby Severing. Welcome to the podcast, Colby. Thanks for having me. Will you spell your first name and especially your last name so our listeners can visualize your name, Colby? Yes, my first name is Colby, C-O-L-B-Y. My last name is Severing, C-E-V-E-R-I-N-G. Thanks. And Colby's calling in over the phone. He lives locally, but we're doing more of these over the phone just to be safe with coronavirus. And let me give you um, an overview of Colby. Colby is um, 29 years old, and I'll talk about his career. He um, just finished med school, four-year med school, finished up in Kansas City. And in that matching program, as some of you know, you match, and he has been matched to be a resident or to go to Loma Linda. And that'll be a four to five years in neurology. So he's living in Salt Lake City right now, but will be headed off to Loma Linda. Um, he is now a resident physician, but he still has four to five years more. And we'll talk more a little bit perhaps about his career. But what a great um, thing you're doing in our community to this long education tunnel, Colby, that also talks takes a lot of money to then someday be able to help people um, with the kind of expertise you're developing. Um, Colby's an LDS. Um, we're going to talk about his story being gay and LDS and also with OCD. And some of you may, um, that may, both of those may be going on in your life. And Colby will kind of talk about how he learned to understand both of those parts about him and sometimes how they're interrelated. And um, he served a mission in the Calgary Canada Mission. He is, as I mentioned, 29. He's active in his YSA ward here in Salt Lake City. He recently came out to his whole ward in a fast uh, meeting. We'll talk about that. Colby's in the church, um, living the basic principles of the church, believes in the basic principles, but he's also dating men. As many gay, some many gay LDS people are as they're trying to make their way in life and and sort of in this double bind between having a belief in the church and also wanting to have a life partner. And so every story is valid, and I'm grateful for Colby. We've had lunch together, and I've just gotten to know this good man and sense his great heart and his desire to give back to society and navigate a really complex road in the very best way he knows how. So we offered a prayer before we started, and our prayers, Colby's story will be helpful to you, our listeners, um, as we better understand each other. Is that okay on a bio, Colby? Yeah, that that's great. Just talk about um, talk about Loma Linda. That's kind of even though that's at the end of the story. Just tell us, a, tell our listeners about um, that experience that starts and what you hope to do and how long that lasts. Okay, um, yeah. So, uh, like you said, I've been in medical school for the past four years. Uh, just finished up. Um, yesterday was technically like our last day of classes, but, um, we know with coronavirus, we haven't really been in the hospitals or anything like that. Um, so this point I'm pretty much done just getting ready to move down to California in, uh, in June. Um, I match into a neurology program there. So I'll spend the next four years working with patients who are having strokes or epilepsy, Parkinson's, uh, Alzheimer's, um, all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's why I really like neurology. Um, it's like a wide variety of, of cases that you get to see. I thought about doing primary care, you know, being a family care doc, um, cause again, you just see like, you get to work with like the lungs and the kidneys and the heart and you kind of like see a little bit of everything. But I also felt like it was too broad. And so 
working in neurology, I can see a lot of different cases within like one specific body system. And so I felt like it was a really good, good match for me. Is there anything that drew you to that? Do you have family members perhaps that had these kind of challenges or is it just tell our listeners the story of, cause there's so many ways to be a medical doctor and here you are kind of in this big wide path, narrowing it down now, matching at Loma Linda. Just how did this come about? Yeah. So actually this is kind of a, an out of the blue thing. Um, I growing up, I never really wanted to be a doctor. Um, you know, didn't really have a clue about biology or human physiology or anything. In high school, I always wanted to be um, a music teacher, actually. So when I this started college, I was a music difference. teacher. <laughs> yeah, huge difference. Um, but it was it was something that I felt okay about, you know, like I was going to be a university professor, wanted to like direct a choir and do composition and that kind of stuff. Um, but when I got home from my mission, I just kind of felt like I needed to do something more humanitarian-based. And uh, my patriarchal blessing talks about um, being able to participate in helping people live longer. And uh, so as I kind of prayed and thought about that, I just felt like medicine was the right route to go for me. Um, as far as like, you know, did I have any experiences that got me into neurology? Um, not, not really. I, after when I decided to go to med school, I switched my major to psychology and considered being a therapist for a little bit. Maybe that was my like humanitarian route, you know? Um, and I took a neuroscience class and I'm just kind of a geek. Like I just thought that was the most interesting thing. And, uh, and so I was able to, um, just develop a real interest in neurology. And then it's kind of funny, like, as I have progressed in this path, um, you know, I've had people who have neurological conditions. Um, my sister actually developed conversion disorder uh, a couple years ago, which is, um, she will have these weird neurological symptoms like sometimes she'll have these seizures and they kind of look like seizures but they're not truly epileptic seizures um and she'll just have like she might lose her vision for a period of time and you know they do all these tests and scans and they can't see anything that's like actually wrong on the brain or the spinal cord or anything um but they have these neurological symptoms that you know we can't explain and so i've kind of been able to help my family understand that how does that work um, so yeah, that's been interesting to see that, although I didn't really have anything that got me into neurology within my family, as I like decided that there have been neurological things in my friends and family that have come up. It's interesting. And, um, if any of you listeners are in your twenties or teens for that matter, I've, as I've just met with so many um, people in Colby's age group and you're coming out of your twenties now is I think there's sometimes this feeling at 20 or 21, you've got to know exactly what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And culturally, sometimes there's examples of that. And the older I get, the more I realize, and I was this way, that I didn't know what I was going to do, even right after my mission. I, there was a lot of fog in front of me. And I just, the principle, I think, is just to put a couple steps forward and move in the direction you feel impressed at the time. And the fog will continue to lift and you'll see the next couple steps. And you're, this is a great example, Colby, just your story right now. And I realize it's not done, but certainly a lot of fog is lifted when you've, act, there's a lot of change. And I think the change is thoughtful. And I love where you, you got a neurology class and you became a geek for that. And I think it's really cool to find something that you want to be. I love that word because it shows passion. It shows something that, <laughs> you know, you would, naturally just want to go learn more about and isn't it cool to have a career that you're you know you like that you have a passion about it it takes sometimes 
for a lot of us, that took a while to get there. So I, I love that about your story. It's really cool. Thank you. And for anybody that's on Colby's social media, he's an outdoors guy. So, I mean, most, in fact, he's been camping and we're recording this on a Saturday afternoon and enjoying the outdoors of Utah. So most of when I see you on Insta, I think is where I see you the most. You're usually outside enjoying um, our beautiful outdoors. So I hope that continues at Loma Linda. Take us back. Yeah, I hope so too. Take us back to, you grew up in Ogden. Take us back to high school years. Um, You're, and talk, I don't know if you want to talk first about trying to figure out OCD or figure out your sexual orientation. I'll just let you start. Sure. Um, yeah, so my high school years were great. I, I loved high school. Um, I was involved in, like, uh, the choirs, and I did student government. And, um, you know, I was, I was very active and, and really enjoyed my high school experience. Um, most people, you know, kind of knew that they were – well, I, I guess I shouldn't say most people, but – a lot of people say that they knew they were gay when they were really young. Um, and that, that wasn't the experience for me. Um, I think it was probably around my junior year of high school that I started to recognize that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't totally straight, but I, I didn't really understand what it was that I was feeling, you know, because I did date girls in high school and I genuinely felt something for them. You know, I didn't just like pick a girl and be like, Oh, you'll do. Let's see what happens. You know? Um, I genuinely was interested in, in all the girls that I dated, but I started to recognize that I wasn't sure that like, you know, the law of chastity was never like an issue for me in that sense. Um, I remember one time actually the very first date I went on, uh, this, this dad, it was a high school dance. This dad opened the door, um, you know, and he was like, I'm your worst nightmare. Come on in. You know, that whole stereotypical story. Like I had that experience. (laughs) And uh, his daughter comes down the stairs, and I'm just like, hey, you look beautiful, you know. And he says, and I know how we boys think, so don't even, you know, don't even go there. And I just was like, whoa, 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 you know. You don't know me. I I had never met this man before in my life. And just, uh, you know, that was like kind of like the last thing on my mind at that point. Um, But, yeah, I started to recognize, like, maybe I had some feelings for some friends. uh, But, honestly, like, I was pretty committed to going on a mission, and so – I didn't really think a whole lot about it. Like law of chastity, regardless, was just like off the table. I was going to live the law of chastity and go on my mission. And, and that was that. Um, it wasn't until r- just before I left on my mission, um, we, I don't know if this is like a standard thing in all stakes, but in our stake, we were like required to read the miracle of forgiveness before leaving. Um and that book, I think it just, it's just so intense, you know, um, I read it and just, you know, he talks, President Kimball talks about like the worst sins a person could commit. And, you know, I, I just, all of a sudden I started to get really nervous, like, and could I be capable of committing some of these sins? You know, um, I started to like, just be really, really nervous about thoughts that came into my head. Uh, and I remember going to, so the day I was supposed to go to the temple, um, to receive my endowment, I kind of brought this up with my parents, you know, I was like, I'm having these weird thoughts that just, they just, they scare me. And I don't, I don't really know about them. My parents were like, Oh, you know, it's not a big deal. You'll be fine. This was like, as we're on our way to the temple, you know, and then I get in the temple and they talk about, I don't remember exactly what they talk about, but it's like, you know, you have the opportunity to leave. 
Um, and, you know, I had the scripture running through my line, mind, like greater light, greater condemnation. I had all this stuff like running through my mind. Um, and I, I stayed, I, you know, went through the endowment and it was fine. Um, I kept going back to the temple after that point. I probably went, I don't know, once or twice a week. I was living in Ogden, so we had the temple nice and close by. And one day I remember sitting in the celestial room and just thinking, um, Heavenly Father, I, I don't know what's going on. And I'm afraid to talk about this with anybody. Uh, you've like got to send me some help. And uh, after about, I don't know, I think about a month of, of this, like going to the temple and kind of suffering in silence. I was in the temple one day and I just had this experience where I was like, you know what, let's go home. It's going to be taken care of. And I was like super at peace all of a sudden. So I went home and I was sitting at the kitchen table and my mom came in from the grocery store or something. And she came up to me and she was like, you know, I just was thinking about what you brought up at the temple when we were going to the temple. And uh, I feel like we need to talk some more about that. Like, tell me what's going on. And at that point I was like, wow, like that was a quick answer to prayer. You know, usually I feel like my prayers aren't answered that quickly. Um, but yeah, so I was able to talk to her and just kind of open up and tell her exactly what was on my mind. And we had a family relative who had some OCD. And so she, I got connected with her uh, and we were able to kind of talk this out together. And um, one night, again, you know, before my mission, I, I brought this up with my mom. I was like, I think, I think I might be gay. I don't know if I use those words. I might have used the word same sex attracted at that time. Um, and my mom was just like, well, do you want to have sex with guys? And I said, no. And she was like, well, then you're not gay. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Then it's probably just my OCD, I guess, you know, uh, because OCD is that you have these fearful thoughts that you're afraid of acting on. Um, and so when she said that, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm good. You know, like, and it wasn't because I, I didn't enjoy those thoughts or whatever. I think it was just because I was like, so dedicated to going on a mission that nothing was going to stop me. And so I was like, of course, I don't want to act on those feelings or those thoughts, you know? Um, and so that's kind of how she's actually, she might've been like the first person I ever brought it up with. And, um, but it was just kind of like left alone at that, you know, um, didn't really think about it a whole lot on my mission. Yeah. Um, it's just, this is the first time I've done a podcast, Colby, with someone that's sort of working with OCD and sexual orientation and, and trying to figure that out pre-mission. It's pretty interesting because I recognize I don't know. Would, would tell our listeners, do you feel like you have a certain type of OCD? I don't. Um, I feel like it changes often. And I remember once we had the diagnosis of OCD, I was able to go back and like see parts of it in my life. Like I remember when I was, I don't know, maybe 14, 13, 14 years old, where I had just learned about like the unforgivable sin in like Sunday school or something. I don't know. And, uh, you know, it's if you deny the Holy Ghost, there's no being forgiven of that. And all of a sudden I would have this, like, I just remember sometimes having this intrusive thought come into my mind, but it would say like, I deny the Holy Ghost or whatever. And then I would like hurry and be so afraid and have to pray and be like, oh, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to have that thought or whatever. Uh, but that was just was like so exhausting. And I think a little bit, I came to the point where I was like, you know what, I, I'm not going to be able to control my thoughts. And uh, it is what it is. If I'm going to be damned because of that, then I guess that's how I go down. Um and, th and that, I think, became less frequent, and it started to evolve into, into something more different. Like I said, after reading The Miracle of Forgiveness, it became a little bit darker. Um, and even now, I, uh, I think it's different than it was even, you know, before my mission. 
or, um, you know, shortly after coming home from my mission after dealing with like, you know, okay, is this gay or is this OCD or, or what is this exactly? Uh, it's, it definitely has changed over time. Yeah, and we've done, as you know, and may have listened to some some scrupulosity-focused OCD podcasts, and there's seen, you know, I'm not clinically trained. You know, understand this better than I do, but I sense there's some of that in here too when you talk about the unforgivable sin, and so a thought comes into your mind, and then your OCD sort of, you know, goes down that road in an OCD way. Um, I love the way you manage that. And I love the way you sort of said, I can't control my thoughts and it is, they are what they are. And I'm just going to do the best going forward. But I recognize straight people with OCD do have sort of thoughts around sexual orientation that is not consistent with how they're actually wired. And so Mm -hmm. that can complicate. And, and in your story, uh, you know, you're sort of wondering because you're a pretty smart guy and it sounds like you've got good help and a mom that asked really good questions so it seemed like a real smart, logical part of your brain. You're trying to figure out, is this OCD? Because I know I haven't committed the unpardonable sin. <laughs> I know some of these <laughs> other things that would come into your brain that some of our other guests have suggested. Even pedophile OCD is something some of our guests have mentioned a little bit as just, you know, a news story about, you know, a pedophile. And then that thought comes in your brain and you think, oh, no, I'm a, and you're not. You want to protect kids, but those sort of thoughts come into your brain sometimes with OCD, even though you're the furthest thing away from a pedophile, but because you're OCD, you think that that's something you're capable of. Um, So, you know, I think you're managing kind of complex stuff in a really thoughtful way. Anything more to add before you go to your mission? Um, No, I mean, I I think I can go into that next. Um, I just about a week before I, went into the MTC because um, it was kind of like the official OCD diagnosis and they wanted to put me on um, some medicine before I left. And so my mission ended up, actually got pushed back, held up a little bit. Um, and I went ahead and had the homecoming. T- I, like I said, this was the week before I was supposed to leave. So I hadn't had my homecoming talk yet, but I went ahead and or did your that. your farewell talk. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Not my homecoming talk. <laughs> yeah. You're good. My farewell talk. Yeah, I went ahead with my farewell talk um, that weekend after receiving the diagnosis uh, and then stayed for a little bit and worked with a therapist and got on some medication and uh, eventually was cleared to go on my mission. And my therapist taught me a lot about um, these cognitive distortions. Um, I think, I know Aaron Beck was a big part of it. There's another guy, David Burns. Uh, he, they kind of did a lot of work in these cognitive distortions, and there are these thinking processes that get us stuck in in feelings of anxiety or depression. And some of them are like black and white thinking. So, you know, either a person is all good or all bad. Um, either a person is like really smart or they're really stupid, and there's no kind of in-between. Um, there's, you know, other ones like mind reading. We tend to think like, oh, they're probably think that, they probably think that I'm so annoying or they think I'm whatever. Uh, and all these cognitive distortions warp the way that we see things. And so as I got a hold of, you know, I could, I could see these cognitive distortions and kind of learn to recognize them in my mind. Um, you know, cause I had to be with OCD. I had to be certain like, Oh, is this OCD or is this not OCD? And I had to, I had to have that certainty. Well, that kind of taught me like that's black and white thinking, like, you know, maybe it is, or maybe it's not, it's kind of ambiguous at this point. And you just kind of have to, to just go forward. Um, 
And you just, I guess I learned a lot about emotional reasoning too. That's another cognitive distortion. I feel anxious. So there must be something I need to be anxious about, or I feel guilty. There must be something I need to feel guilty about. Um, it took me a while to like learn those things. And it's still something that I, I feel like I struggle with and I'm, I'm trying to understand, but you know, I, I, I did that. I met with a therapist, got on the medication, um, and, and went on my mission and I feel like I have been really blessed because I, I didn't go on my mission with the idea of, you know, if I serve a mission, God will make me straight, which I feel like a lot of, of gay people do. You know, they expect that if they go, God's going to bless them. And, and when they come home, they will no longer be gay. Um, so I feel like I've avoided some of the bitterness in, in, in that sense that I, I never felt like I was out to prove myself to God or, or to anybody, really. I was going on my mission because I believed in the church and um, you know, wanted to share that with people. My mission was hard, you know, like, I feel like it's not as hard as some people's missions, you know, I never was like beat up or, or kidnapped or anything like that, but it was still hard, you know, to challenge my faith and, and my resilience. Um, but I remember I, I came up with a, about halfway through my mission, um, I had this poster, this giant poster, and I just wrote on it at the bottom, I said, um, scripture that says, uh, what greater witness can you have than from God? And, you know, I was having a lot of these religious questions, you know, um, and I would just, every time I had like a spiritual experience, I would just write down the scripture and the little, a little blurb from that scripture about like what principle it taught me or whatever. And I, I would write it on that poster and then I had it over my study desk. So I would see it every day and I carried that with me for the rest of my mission. Um, and that kind of became my, like my my bedrock, I guess, you know, when I got discouraged or whatever, I'd look at that and say, you know, you had a spiritual experience about this. Like, don't forget about that. It's very important. Um, and yeah, missions were hard, but, but I loved it. I love working with the people. And I think that's kind of what got me into this humanitarian um, line of work. I wanted to do something to help people. I liked, I liked working with people and um, yeah. You said some really interesting things in there that no one's ever really talked about. I love where I wrote down the word anxiety where you said, I felt anxiety. And so I had to find sort of where that was coming from in this cognitive distortion. I like that term too. Um, there's just some wonderful learning there at a really young age, Colby, understanding who you are and sort of the nuance of OCD and, and some of these, I can tell why you at one point, I, maybe I didn't mention this before on the podcast, before we visited, Colby was thinking about becoming a therapist and you understand some of this world, which I think will just help you in your career um, to understand some of the, this side of that whole world. Um, really interesting though. And I love where you're, um, we do kind of get black and white sometimes and that, that can sometimes, you know, decrease our ability to fully understand ourselves and help others. It's kind of fascinating. Um, any more <laughs> you want to elaborate on that part? On the black and white thinking? Yeah, or just anxiety or some of these cognitive distortions. I don't know if there's any examples or anything else you want to talk about. I love the, what you did on your mission as far as writing down the things you felt. Yeah, um, I think... That you know, it still took me a while. Once I even had the, that list, um, I actually like had a piece of paper that had these cognitive distortions listed out, and I could like go back to them and and realize, you know, whenever I was using them. I mean, there's a couple more, you know, like labels. Oh, I'm I'm stupid, or I'm uh, I'm so I'm a loser, or whatever it is. 
Um, you know, those labels have a lot of emotional weight attached to them. And if we really like dug into, you know, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to be a loser? What does that mean to be stupid? Like, why do you think you're stupid? Um, you know, maybe you just didn't understand that one principle on that exam or something. Um, so I, it's just a really great way to like battle those cognitive distortions that keep us anxious or depressed. And I, it's been a while since I looked for cognitive distortions, like on the internet, but I'm sure that, you know, if anybody were interested in learning more about them, you could just type that right into Google cognitive distortions and, and those would come up. Um, like I said, there's still something that I'm learning. And I think I just, you know, figured out emotional reasoning, like a couple of months ago when I was just feeling anxious again. And I was like, well, wait a second, like just because you feel anxious doesn't mean that there's something to be anxious about. That's really you interesting. Know? This is like OCD, just like getting you right now. And you just have to shut that down. It's very helpful for me personally, because I feel during coronavirus, I feel more anxiety than I typically have ever felt, to be honest. But sometimes mm -hmm. I don't know why. Nothing is, and I'm blessed, nothing has really changed in my life at this point. And so, but it's part of the unknown, but sometimes it's good just to go through the cognitive exercise you did to, to sort of manage anxiety in a thoughtful way. Um, it doesn't sound like being, you know, working on your sexual orientation during your mission took you in really dark, difficult places. It sounds like you were just part of the Brotherhood of Missionaries helping people come into Christ. I'm putting words in your mouth, but it seems like it was a, a good time for you and and not a particularly difficult time trying to figure out your sexual orientation. Just share more on that. Yeah. Um, I definitely felt, um, well, I, I, let me start to figure out how to say that. So, um, yeah, it wasn't something that I was super concerned about as a missionary. Um, I remember meeting both women and men that I felt some sort of like, I don't know if attraction is the right word, but, or some kind of like intrigue, like, Oh, I'd like to love to get to know this person better. Um, you know, or even just thinking, yeah, like that woman is attractive or that man is attractive. Um, and I think because I hadn't really figured it out yet, I think that allowed me to fit in a little bit better with the other missionaries. Um, not that I was, you know, I feel like I, I have never really gotten along really great with other guys. Uh, you know, they're more of like the sports guys or the big outdoors, like let's go hunting. And, and that's not me at all. I, I'm not very athletic and I'm, I'm not much of a hunter. Um, so like outdoor stuff, that's fun to me. Cause I can, I can kind of do things on my own. I don't have to like let a team down or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I never felt really out of place because of my sexual orientation. I, I did feel out of place. I didn't feel like I could totally connect uh, with guys and, and still wondered, you know, if I was gay or not. Um, but it wasn't until like the last couple months of my mission and I started to realize that I needed to, you know, I was getting ready to go home soon. But I was like, you know, I, I think I need to do a little more exploring on this. And so I, uh, I contacted my mission president. I was just like, hey, do you mind if I see a counselor? I mean, he was aware, obviously, of of my um, emotional needs before I came because I had been, you know, delayed in coming up there and they were aware of that. So uh, he was like, yeah, you know, do you want to go see a counselor? That's fine. Um, and so I started seeing this counselor maybe two months before I came home from my mission. And I admitted to him, I was like, yeah, I, I think I might be gay. And, um, and he was like, okay, well, so like, how does that affect your ability to like be in the church, you know? He was very um, candid, and, and we honestly didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about that. And I just was like, oh, okay, you know, well, 
I guess I'll just figure it out when I get home. And I had made up my mind at that point, you know, that I was going to come home and I was going to um, let my YSA bishop know that this was something I was dealing with, but wasn't like super sure about. Um, and but just like felt like I needed him to to um, to know about that. So I did. I came home um, after two years up in Canada, and uh, I think within the first month, yeah, I, I I met with my bishop and I told him just, hey, so you know, like I think I might be gay. I've never acted on it. Um, but I just wanted you to be aware. And, and he was kind of like, okay. He's like, well, have you ever kissed a girl? And I was like, no, I've never kissed a girl. And he's like, well, maybe if you kiss a girl, maybe like, maybe you'll find out, find out differently. You know, I just kind of laughed and was like, oh yeah, you know, maybe you're right. And cause like, honestly, that was something that I had thought to myself, you know, um, I feel like I, I was raised in a very, a very sheltered home where sex was not talked about. Um, and so I, I was, I felt very sheltered and, and not really sure how to navigate sexuality in general, being straight or gay, you know? And so I was like, yeah, well, maybe, you know, so I just kept dating girls and eventually kissed the girl. And I was like, Oh, I really enjoy that. You know, I, a mission buddy happened to call me and I was talking to him about it. And he's like, dude, that's how your first kiss is. It's just like, not that great. You just have to do it again, you know? And so there were all these things that were like pulling me like, okay, am I gay? Am I not? Because like I said, I, I never dated a girl out of pressure. I always, whenever I was dating a girl, it was because I was genuinely interested in them and ge- generally interested in her. And you know, I thought she was pretty, thought she was funny, thought I'd like to spend more time with her, you know? And so that was really hard for me to, to figure out, um, you know, yeah, am I gay or is this, is this just OCD, these sexual thoughts that I'm having, you know, I'm afraid of them. I'm afraid because I could lose my membership in the church and I don't want to lose my membership in the church, but I also just, you know, I'm just very curious. And I think, you know, there came a point where I started to realize like the gay feelings were different from the OCD feelings that I was having. Um, you know, I was having thoughts, my OCD thoughts were things that I, I felt like I could never do. And then the, the gay thoughts were more like, well, you know, I, I would be more interested in that. And I think, I think I had to separate um, the OCD from kind of like normal things that people experience in their sexuality. Like if you ask somebody, well, how do you know you're straight? You know, they might say, well, like, uh, I don't know. I've just always been attracted to women. Well, how do you know you're attracted to women? You know, like you, do you like, you dream about women, you know, do you have sexual dreams about women? And I started like, well, you know, I've never really had sex dreams about, about girls. I've always just had sex dreams about boys. And, uh, you know, it started to be like these other things more. I, I just started to get like a more full picture of, you know, how, how was I different from, um, from guys who are straight uh, and who didn't have OCD. That's very helpful. Um, I just recognize your maturity um, to be able to talk about this in such thoughtful, honest, straightforward way and, and be able to separate that. It's very helpful, Colby. Yeah, so just keep telling your story. It sounds like you're a pretty upfront guy. Um, there's, I mean, I, I admire that about you. are pretty upfront with your mom about how you felt before your mission. You've been upfront saying counselors are a good thing. I'm going to talk to a counselor on my mission. Um, I'm going to talk to my YSA bishop as soon as I get home. So I admire that character attribute of you. It's pretty upfront, and there seems to be less shame around just listening to you. And maybe there was earlier. You just, this is, there doesn't seem a lot of shame. Um, this is just kind of factual of who you are and how you're created um, versus just yeah, I think- de-shaming, years of de-shaming yourself for um, kind of having thoughts like this. 
Right. There was a lot of shame involved. Like I said, uh, you know, between that month where I went to the temple for the first time in the month, my mom, or, you know, when my mom later confronted me, uh, yeah, there was a lot of shame. So I think for a lot of years, it had just been silent shame. Um, and there was some shame about, about being gay or being attracted to men. And, and I didn't really understand that. And I think one of the biggest things that helped me to kind of overcome that shame, um, I had been doing some online studying um, and I got to like the Fair Mormon website and yeah, they had written something on there about like gays in the church. And they said, um, you know, a lot of people assume that straight people are born, are born straight um, and that gay people are not born straight or <laughs> not born straight. The gay people are not born gay. But even if gay people were born that way, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily excuse their behavior because people who are born straight still have certain limits on their on their sexual activities. Right. And I think that point that helped me realize, like, being straight and being gay, they're not really that different. Um, you know, I, I still don't know exactly why I'm gay. Um, you know, was I born that way? Was it cultural things that shaped me? Uh, you, you know, I, I don't know. Um, and I think once I got to that point where I could say, you know, well, there's certain restrictions on, on straight sexual activity. And even if they were, even though they are, we think, you know, born that way. And so being gay isn't any different. You know, there's still going to be some restrictions um, on on people who are born gay. And I think that that really helped eliminate a lot of the shame um, in, in that sense. And so I could kind of, now I could kind of work through that a little bit more. Okay, well, you know, I'm not ashamed for any, as much to be gay because it would be the same thing if I were straight. I would still have these restrictions on, on what I should and shouldn't do, you know? I like that. And in this book I'm releasing in September, the manuscript is into the publisher. Um, I talk about that a fair amount just by bringing voices of other people. And the natural man is something I use because um, the natural man is an enemy to God, as we know in the Book of Mormon. It talks about the attributes of the natural man. Um, and I recognize that sexual orientation, sometimes people say, well, that's just the natural man. Um, coming out in straight people to sort of manifest as gay, for example. And I sort of like to put everybody on the same moral footing, that everybody um, is equally responsible to respond to the natural man. And, but er, no one should look in the mirror and think that they're, if they're not straight, that somehow they're um, in a lower tier or more subjected to the natural man. Because I think that just creates shame. And, a, and then a separation from God, thinking you're worthy of God's love. So I've always felt de-shaming sexual orientation, like yours, like you've said so well, puts people in a better emotional spot and and is more likely to keep God in their lives as they move forward in their lives. Doesn't t- like you say doesn't necessarily take doesn't doesn't take commandment keeping off the table, um, all the things, but it sort of equalizes everybody um, in in each other's eyes and I think in the eyes of God which is a better place to be. So that's, I like what you just shared with us. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to keep talking about that or just keep moving forward in your story. Um, yeah. So uh, I can, I guess I can keep talking about that. So, I mean, I, I guess, uh, you know, I reached a point where, so now I had come to terms with, okay, I don't know why I'm gay. I feel like it's just as valid as being straight at this point, but now it's a question of, you know, what am I going to do about it? You know, am I going to, am I going to leave the church and just be, you know, live the quote unquote gay lifestyle? Um, Or am I going to just like kind of not really talk about it, just pretend it's not there and just basically be straight and, uh, you know, just do the church thing a hundred percent. 
and uh, still, but I still having these also conflicting opinions. You know, is this am I gay or is this OCD? Um, you know, I joined a, an OCD support group that was online that I could kind of talk about this with. I joined North Star, um, started to put some feelers out. You know, and all this was very much under the table. I, uh, you know, I didn't really tell my parents about this. I didn't tell my friends about this. Anything. Um, and eventually, like, you know, there came a point where I was like, I don't know that I'm ever going to know if this is OCD or if this is being gay until, like, I kind of just give it a chance. Like, it was almost like some kind of exposure therapy, you know, um, put myself in a position of, of what I'm afraid of and, and see how I respond to it and, and what do I want to do. Um, and I think some of that, you know, came as I studied the scriptures and, um, you know, one of my favorite scriptures is in the Pearl of Great Price. And in Moses, when um, I can't remember exactly who says it, but the idea is, you know, they taste the bitter that they may know to prize the good. And it was like, you know, this whole time I've been told, you know, that being gay is, is bitter. That's the thing that you're not supposed to partake of. But for me, that's like, you know, putting sex aside, like, you know, that it was something that I wanted with like companionship. And I, I always enjoyed my male friendships more than um, my female friendships. And so I was like, you know, if this really is, if this really is bitter, then like, as I, as I go through this, I'm like trusting that God is going to show me that this is bitter. Um, and I knew that there were certain lines that I didn't have to cross to kind of like figure that out. Um, you know, I didn't know that I, I knew that I didn't need to have sex to, you know, well, am I gay or am I straight? Because those were already thoughts in my head. So I kind of came to this conclusion that I, I'm never going to know unless I kind of like give this a shot, but, but I put boundaries on it and I was like, you know, there's certain lines that I'm not going to cross. And, uh, so I remember I downloaded actually a friend of mine, his brother downloaded Tinder on my phone. and was like trying to set me up with these girls and, I remember one night switching the the settings on the app to so that I could like match with men. And I just remember being like getting matches and being like super excited. And it just like, this felt so right. Um, and eventually I did meet up with a guy. So like my very first date ever, um, you know, this guy, he was like, well, like let's meet for coffee or something. And I was like, well, actually I don't drink coffee. So he's like, all right, well, we can just go get ice cream. So we got ice cream and then we wanted to watch a movie. So we went to Redbox and, he was like, oh, have you seen this movie? And I was like, no, it's rated R. I don't watch R-rated movies. You know, so I was like, I was like really trying to do the whole church thing. Uh, but there I was like on a date with a guy and just just really just trying to figure it out. And at that point too, um, you know, I would I would pray before I went on a date and I would just say, Heavenly Father, like, I don't know if you're mad about mad at me for doing this, but I just really feel like I have no other idea, like way to figure this out. I've been deba- debating this for so long. And so here I am, I'm just trying to figure this out and help me to know what I should do, you know? And, uh, so that's what, that's what I did for a little bit. And eventually, um, I moved away to school and dated a girl for a while. And, um, I started to realize, you know, my friends would ask like, well, have you kissed her yet? And it had been a couple months and I hadn't kissed her yet. And I realized that, you know, that wanting to kiss her came from other people and not necessarily from myself. And, Eventually one weekend she asked me to go home with her and to see her family. And uh, I couldn't go that weekend. I had a work meeting or something. And I just remember like feeling so relieved that I couldn't go. And I just remember feeling like, that's kind of my sign. I think, you know, I don't, I don't think I love her. And uh, I kind of had to let that relationship go. And actually I had, I had opened up to her and even told her like, yeah, I I struggle with same sex attraction. And, you know, she was willing to work with that and we were trying to figure it out. And I just realized that I I didn't love her. Um, And I kind of had to let her go and, at that same time, there was a, a guy that came into my life and, um, you know, we became friends and, uh, I think I developed a lot more feelings 
um, for him than he, than, than uh, he did for me. And eventually kind of the friendship kind of broke down and, and I was heartbroken. You know, I, I felt like I had really fallen for this guy. And uh, my bishop at the time, you know, like I said, I had moved down to Cedar City. And, sorry, I went to SEU down in Cedar City. Um, and I kind of did the same thing. And when I moved down there, my bishop called me in, you know, like, hey, I want to get to know you. And he asked me, like, do you, is there anything you want me to know? And I was like, you know, I wasn't going to tell you this, but I just want you to know that, um, you know, I struggle with same-sex attraction. That was the phrase that I was using at the time. And he was very, like, taken aback by that. And he's like, I'm just so shocked that you would, like, tell me that. You know, it's our first meeting. Uh, and he was really great support, and he encouraged me to come in and talk to him. And he would just say things like, "You know, I've never, I've never dealt with this before, and I've never had anybody explain, you know, their feelings to me this way." And, you know, I'd say, "I just, I met this guy, and I just, I, I want to see him all the time, and I want to know how his day is, and I want to, you know, go out and do fun things with him, you know, and I just want to spend all my time with him." And he just thought that was like so interesting. He'd never, you know, really experienced that with anybody, and. um and he was very supportive. And I mean, like he warned me, you know, like there's going to come a point where if this goes further, then we're going to have to talk and there may be some disciplinary changes, you know, but I, I felt very, um, I felt like I could talk to him really about anything. And even, you know, I, uh, I still kind of talk to him every now and then and, cool. and he's been very supportive. I, it just, I appreciate you just sharing your story, um, as you're trying to figure this out and, it seems like, you know, I just interacted with a mother who's just coming, her daughter is just coming out. And my overall advice feeling is when I see those stories, you know, of a teenager starting to identify as LGBTQ is to go slow. And you don't need to figure everything out right now. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of your story and the maturity of your story, Colby, is you're, you're going pretty slow here. And you're not having to answer every question right now about what does this mean for the church? What does this mean for my future? There's so many unanswered questions that you're, so I, I love, and I love the way you're involving other responsible people with you in your life and just trying to figure this out. So I think there's some really wonderful principles as you're trying to move forward in the most thoughtful way. I love, you know, I mean, I don't know if any YSA bishop would encourage you to date men. Um, mm-hmm. but I think I would, if I were your bishop and some of these other YSA bishops would say, well, keep talking to me of what's going on in your life. I want to keep the communication channels. I love that you're praying about this. I love that you're setting boundaries. I love that you're praying before dates. And that's sort of the non-black and white thinking of your mind that I think a mature thing is to say, well, God still loves me. I'm going to pray. Um, and I'm going to keep him in my life as I navigate this road and, and all the complexity of this road. I think it's very, very thoughtful. Yeah. I think that, I think that black and white thinking that I had learned to work with in therapy, you know, really helps me see that um, there's kind of this false dichotomy. Like you have to be either 100% in the church or you have to be totally out. Like there's no in between. Um, and maybe it's, maybe part of that too is my stubbornness. I'm just like, well, you're going to tell me that I can't do this. Like, well, watch me. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, and I just, I just really felt like, you know, I, I couldn't give up the church. I couldn't give up those spiritual experiences that I had. Um, but I was, there was also some longing for companionship that I felt like I, I couldn't meet any other way. And, um, you know, there's a scripture in Doctrine and Covenants that talks about, you know, obedience to, um, when we receive a blessing, it's based on the obedience to the law in which it is predicated. 
And I, I just kind of felt like that, like God would continue to bless me as I kept living his other commandments, even if I wasn't living this one commandment. And I feel like sometimes in the church, you know, it's like, well, if you aren't living the law of chastity, then why are you really like coming to church? Or why are you living the word of wisdom or whatever? You know, it's like, you might as well just not do any of it if you're going to like break the law of chastity. But I think there's a lot more to our covenants than just like one specific commandment. You know, we covenant to pay tithing, we covenant to to bear each other's burdens and, and do all these things. And I think as I kind of came to terms with that and realized like, you know, um, as I lost some of the shame and started to date men and, and realized that I was kind of happier in this position. Um, I think I felt more inclined to, to reach out and to, uh, you know, service projects became less of a hassle and they became more meaningful to me because it was like, I no longer had this one. It wasn't like, okay, well, I'm keeping this one big commandment, so I'm sure they won't care if I, like, don't come to this service project or whatever. You know, I could spend more of my time actually, like, wanting to give back because I wasn't so emotionally drained from, um, you know, having to hide this secret or, or feeling guilty um, about decisions that I made. And uh, I, think, I think that's really hard to do, and it took me a while to get to that point, but I, I feel so much happier um, just kind of, like, being authentic and with the people around me. Uh, talk about, I don't know if you want to talk about Kansas City. I think you're at SUU right now. I don't know if you talk about four, I think you're in Kansas City four years and talk about that part of your journey. And Yeah, sorry. It's kind of a, I feel like I'm kind of all over the place. No, um, you're doing great. So, so yeah. So SUU, that was kind of like, okay, I really think that I, I'm gay and I, I kind of just want to date men probably at this point, but I still hadn't fully come out to um, my parents. Like my, I was still going to church and things like that, but I hadn't told my parents that, you know, I think this is something more um, that I, I am, am struggling with. And so I moved to Kansas City and it was kind of a time for me to like figure things out. Um, you know, I didn't know anybody out in Kansas City. And uh, so I, I did, I started dating um, men more openly out there. Uh, it was a little bit easier to do it in secrecy because like I said, nobody really knew. Um, but again, like I came out to my, my bishop, my, my branch president at that point, uh, I came out to my elders quorum president. He wanted me to be in the elders quorum president. And I said, you know, like, I am happy, but I just want you to know that like, I am really struggling with this right now. And, um, I don't know, I don't know if you want me to be in a position where, where I have to like be teaching and helping because I, I feel like I'm struggling to know whether or not I want to be in the church. Um, and so he, but he was very receptive and, uh, so I, I kind of kept dating men out there in Kansas city, um, kind of quietly. And it wasn't until I left Kansas city and actually lived in Florida, uh, from 2018 to 2019 for as my third year of medical school. Um, our, our school had deals with hospitals around the country where they could send students, um, to do their third year, their clinical rotations. And so I had decided to move to Florida there's a hospital down there that we um, were affiliated with. So I went down to Florida. Um, and as I was getting ready for that move, like I saw all of my friends posting, you know, on social media, like, oh, I'm so thankful for my husband or my boyfriend or girlfriend, whoever it is that's like stuck with me through these past two years. And we're so excited for the next adventure. And the loneliness just like never felt more real. And I remember moving to Florida and just feeling like I, I couldn't do this anymore. Um, and I needed to like, just be totally open. And so actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, 
I had moved, I was praying about where I should move to and um, or like where I should live in Florida. And I went down to, I lived in Fort Myers. It's a little Gulf coast town. Um, and I went down there to like find an apartment and just like felt awful about the whole situation. Just like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, uh, I just feel like I made the worst decision. And so ironically, I was staying in an Airbnb that was hosted uh, by two gay men. And uh, I had a friend that was with me down there and he had already gone like into our bedroom and was sleeping and I just couldn't shake this anxiety feeling. So I went out into their little front room there and, you know, I was surrounded by all these alcohol bottles and I just, I just knelt on the ground and was like, heavenly father, I, I'm feeling super anxious about being down here. Why didn't you tell me to go somewhere else? Like, I just don't know why I'm here. And, uh, I, I, I got up from this prayer. It was very heartfelt and I didn't feel any different really. You know, and I just was like, well, I'm just going to have to, like, stick this out. You know, the comfort's not coming right away, but that doesn't mean that, you know, nothing's going to happen. So I just went with it. And the next morning I got up and um, <clears throat> I had in mind to go see this one apartment complex and uh, changed my mind. I was going to go see this different one. So I show up at this new apartment complex and take the tour. And I see this girl sitting there on, in, like, the little lounge cafe or whatever. And I decided to go up to her and just talk to her and ask her about the place. Um, she's like, yeah, uh, she's like, actually, I don't live here. I live in St. Louis. Um, but my boyfriend lives here and uh, he's actually looking for a roommate. And I was like, Oh, that'd be perfect. You know? Um, and I was like, if it helps, like I'm a medical student, so I'm not going to be like partying, you know, I'll be at work a lot. And, uh, she was like, Oh, that's really funny. My boyfriend's a medical student. And, you know, I asked her where she went to where he went to school and she said, Oh, he actually goes to school in Kansas city. And it was my same exact school. Wow. And he was just a year ahead of me at that same hospital. And I had never met this kid before, like had no idea he was there. And, um, that worked out. Like we ended up being wow. able to connect. And I remember before I moved in, I, I just was like, I had decided to come out and I was like, I'm, I'm just going to be totally honest with him. So I just texted him and said, Hey, I'd love to live with you, but uh, I just want to be open with you. Like, uh, I'm gay and I'm Mormon and I don't really know where I'm headed in the future, but I just want you to feel comfortable like living with a gay roommate. And he texted me back and just, you know, said, Hey, you know, I think that's great that you're, you're trying to do both. Um, you know, my girlfriend's brother is gay. Um, and they dealt with that as like, they're a very Catholic family and they kind of dealt with that whole thing. And I want you to know that you should never feel uncomfortable here. If you decide to date, then, you know, you're welcome to bring your partner over or whatever. He's like, I would love to have you. as a roommate. That's really cool. And I had, yeah, I just had never felt like so much acceptance. Um, and I think that really helped me come to terms with it later. You know, I, I started just, just telling everybody and just being open and honest with, with my friends and, and my classmates. And, um, that's kind of where I really came out. So that was like summer of end of summer of 2018. Um, and I had started seeing someone, but I was afraid to tell my parents, I, I didn't want to break their hearts. You know, um, they're very active in the church. They've been active like most of their adult lives. And, um, I just didn't say most of their adult lives, <laughs> pretty much all of their adult lives. Um, and I knew it was going to be hard for them to tell them, but eventually I did. And, and, uh, it, it was hard. It was hard on my mom and, and she cried. And, um, you know, I haven't talked to my dad a whole lot about it. I don't know exactly what his thoughts and feelings were, but I just remembered them both saying like, you know, we love you. Uh, you know, thank you for telling us and being open with us about it. And, and, and that was kind of it. Then I was like, okay, like I am like completely out at this point and I'm dating men and I'm going to church and this is going to be kind of my new norm for a bit. 
I love that prayer you offered in Florida. And I love that text you sent. That takes a bit of courage to just, you need some place to live. It's a whole new state for you. You just offered that prayer. You've been in that Airbnb that doesn't feel right to you. Um, and so you just bring up, you, you know, you text this guy, this possible roommate. And I, I just, you know, when his text comes back to you, I just think, I think of the progress we're making as a society. Um, I think of my, I'm 59, Colby, and I don't know if I could have sent that text. If you had sent that text to me, if I were in my 20s, I, mm-hmm. we didn't have texts back then, so maybe I'm off the hook. Um, <laughs> but I just, to me, that's just coming together as the same human family and that guy's homophobia being so low or non-existent that he just sees you for who you are and your gifts and contributions and perhaps even recognizes because he's got a connection there with a conservative church and um, Catholic church and somebody that's gay that he recognized perhaps you actually have a harder road and he can actually help lighten your load a little bit and recognizes the courage it took for you to text him. So that to me is just a great story about the human family helping each other. Um, yeah, he, was, he credit- was really great. I felt really blessed. That was a huge tender mercy in my life for sure. But here you are praying, and I love what you said about 10 or 15 minutes in the go on the podcast where, um, yeah, we should, you know, I invite everybody to keep all the commandments, but I recognize that we do better even if we're not keeping one commandment. There is sort of this all or nothing mentality, and I do some, see some people step away from the church, and then they just open the door to everything. And, um, and I recognize where you're saying, you know, I still want to keep as many commandments as I can as I make my way forward. Um, and I think that's just a really thoughtful, mature way because our doctrine is for every commandment you keep, there's a blessing. And it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's, there's doctrinal foundation in what you've learned. We don't usually talk about it like that because we, we kind of don't open the door to not keeping all the commandments. <laughs> um, right. But I think there's a pragmatic um, reality that you're practicing and seeing blessings from that. And yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, um, I think the black and white thinking obviously has its place. I mean, Jesus was very clear in the, in the Bible, you know, that, you know, no unclean thing can enter into God's presence. He was, you know, very black and white. But I also think that, you know, our, our, our doctrine is so much more complicated than just black and white. You know, we don't believe in you're going to heaven and you're going to hell. You know, we believe in three degrees of glory, and even within the celestial kingdom, there's three different levels in the celestial kingdom. And so, you know, our doctrine doesn't lend very itself very well to this black and white thinking because there's kind of like this huge spectrum, and we could fall anywhere along that spectrum. You know, you've got outer darkness clear at the left end, and you've got, you know, exaltation in the celestial kingdom clear on the right. There's like this whole spectrum of righteousness and wickedness, and, you know, we all fall somewhere on that spectrum. Um, and I, I remember like this experience of like praying. Heavenly Father, I remember leaving from that, from me talking with his girlfriend um, that day at the apartment complex and just praying and saying, Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Like, but I, I feel very conflicted now because you know that I am not sure where, like, that I want to stay in the church. And you know that, like, I've been dating men. And I just thank you for, like, for blessing me with this, even though I'm kind of in, like, a, a weird spot right now. Maybe I'm not doing everything that you want me to do, but I feel like I, I'm trying to stay close to you and I appreciate, you know, like you helping me at this point and still like being there on my, on my side, you know, and helping me out still. I love that. 
And just from a parenting perspective, that's the way I would operate as a parent is just that if a kid opened up to me just the way you opened up, um, that to me would resonate with me as a parent. So I think that resonates with Heavenly Father. I don't know that for sure, but I sort of think it is the same eyes as a parent. So Colby, tell me more about life in Florida. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I moved to Florida in June of 2018. Um, And kind of the same thing, you know, I knew I needed to get some support as soon as I moved there. Um, Even though I was like deciding to come out and all that. So I actually talked to my elders quorum president um, that was going to be down there in, in the branch um, and came out to him, but I didn't really tell anybody else. Um, I just, I told him, you know, I need your support. Uh, I want to be friends. I don't really know anybody here. Um, but the vibe I got from him was that he wasn't really interested uh, in being friends. And maybe I'm totally wrong about that, but that's just like the vibe I got. He, uh, he only ever invited me to like church activities. And when I'd ask him to hang out outside of church, he was always like busy with dates or like he was working or I would just never get a text back. So I didn't feel like, a whole lot of support from him. Um, so I felt like very alone down there in Florida, especially in the church, because uh, my roommate was traveling a lot, just like I was this year. And so I was really relying on the church for some social support. Um, there was about a two-month period where I couldn't go to church without just breaking down in tears because I just felt so conflicted um, and lonely. I was, uh, I was in a long-distance relationship at the time, and I, I was so happy that I found some companionship and, you know, someone who cared for me and like we would chat on FaceTime every day. Um, and then I would go to church and feel like I couldn't tell anyone about the relationship. I, I felt like invisible. Um, I didn't really know how I could keep going to a church where this relationship that was bringing me so much fulfillment um, would be seen as something that was like, that was like evil, you know? Um but I remember one weekend our stake asked for volunteers to go up to help with the Hurricane Michael cleanup up in Florida's Panhandle. Uh, I went up there with a group of three married guys in the stake, probably in their I don't know late 30s, early 40s, and they made some comments about gay people that just ate at me. And and maybe I should have like said something, but I didn't know them that well. I didn't want to ostracize myself from the group. You know, I was gonna be with them all weekend. Um, and that Sunday we were up there. We were in Panama City. And they had a special sacrament meeting for the volunteers in one of the damaged church buildings or in the damaged church building there. Uh, and I warned the guy who was kind of the leader of the group that I was going through a rough time and I might kind of cry. Uh, I don't want him to be like too freaked out or anything. All of a sudden just crying. And he's like, oh, what's going on? Uh, so I gave him a little bit of a warning. And sure enough, like not, in, not long into the meeting, I, I just lost it. Um, and after the meeting, he kind of like put his arm around me, didn't really say anything, just put his arm around me and squeeze my shoulder. And, and that was kind of all that I really needed. It was just a little support that meant a lot to me. Um, but this period of conflict continued for several months. And I was just trying to hang on to President Ballard's promise um, that he said, you know, there's a place for uh, any gay or lesbian member of the church. Uh, so like hang in there, you know, uh, keep looking for it. And one day I was praying on my way to church and I just said, Heavenly Father, I don't know why I'm continuing to go to church. I feel like I don't belong there. I feel like I'm not finding any refuge there. Um, so please just like, like give me a sign. You know, you want me to keep going or tell me to know why I should keep going because I just I feel like I can't really do it anymore. So that day I happened to be late to church. So I walk in um, 
and we had priesthood first. So I walk in, everybody sees me walk in and I sit down in the half circle and this is the state president who's giving a lesson. And he starts talking about ordinances. Eventually we get to the ceiling ordinance and he says, I want to talk about marriage between an, a man and a woman. And that was kind of it. I couldn't sit there and listen to another lesson about eternal marriage. And so I stood up. I hadn't been there longer for like five minutes. And I stood up and walked out and didn't come back for a sacrament meeting. Um, and I kind of took that as my sign that it didn't matter whether or not I went to church. Um, so I stopped for a couple of weeks. Uh, and then a member of the branch presidency actually reached out to me. And we had chatted once or twice before, but he and his wife had just been called to the branch. So they were pretty new. Um, we formed a little connection because they both grew up in southern Alberta. Um, in one of the little towns where I served in Raymond. And so they called me one night and just said, hey, want to come over to our house? We'll play games. We can talk about Canada. Um, so I like, sure. So I, I came over and um, actually found out that her dad was a bishop at the time that I was in Raymond. So I actually like worked with him. And it was funny because he like he's really good at keeping a journal every day. So he went back to his journal and he had written about me just a little bit, you know, like, oh, saw. Uh, some investigators with Elder Set today, and he was in my journal too. So it was kind of a fun little connection there. Um, and I, I grew to really love this family. And a couple of weeks later, I asked this bishopric member if we could go to lunch. I just, you know, well, I'd known better. And so while we were at lunch, he asked me about my eating life. And uh, I said to him, you know, I'll be honest, I'm gay and I'm seeing someone. And he just kind of sat there for a minute and then said, oh, okay, well, that doesn't change anything. And, you know, in fact, I, I want you to know that. I took this calling on the condition that I could still acknowledge my support for same-sex marriage, you know, to the people who had asked me to be in this calling and told them, uh, you know, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't teach anything against that, that I, I support same-sex marriage. And uh, he said, I love you. And, you know, if you want to come to church, great. If not, I support you in that too. But ultimately, like, I to come and I want you to be a part of my family, you know, and I want you to be yourself around my family. And that's really all it took for me to feel better about being in church. Um, so I came back to church. I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks, but, um, you know, eventually I gradually opened up to more and more people and built a great relationship with this family. And I just continue to be amazed at like how the Lord has placed people in my life to bless me. Thanks for sharing some of that Colby for, um, and it's just, um, it's just, you do a good job of, um, talking about the complexities of being a gay Latter-day Saint and, um, really trying to hang in there the best you can. And will you go back to that stake president? Because um, I would, at times, as a YSA bishop, teach about eternal marriages between a man and a woman. Why was that difficult lesson for you? Is it? Will you explain to our listeners why that's a why that was difficult for you? I think it was hard for me because it just felt like you know it was invisible, like. I am trying so hard to stay in the church. And here I come to another lesson where, you know, I can hear all about how gay marriage is a counterfeit marriage or, or whatever. Um, you know, the only acceptable marriage is between a man and a woman. And that doesn't, that doesn't fit my path. And so it's more just a feeling of like, yeah, kind of being invisible. And um, I just, I just couldn't sit through another lesson where I felt like I, I, I couldn't really relate to the subject or, um, you know, where I could be demonized or something like that. So I think that's, that was the problem. And it's tricky because that's part of our, you know, our doctrine. And so I, it's hard to say like, you, sh you know, I don't want to say that you should never teach about eternal marriage because I think 
it's an important part of our doctrine, but it's just, I think it's just important to be sensitive to, to who is in the room and how, how can we talk about these subjects in a way that um, includes everybody, you know? Uh, if, if I were a new YSA bishop and you were counseling me to sort of navigate this way where I still wanted to talk about eternal marriage between a man and a woman at times, but I wanted to recognize that that's a, that that's may not be a realistic goal for like gay Latter-day Saints or other people that aren't married. Any just thoughts on a, on sensitivity training for me? Should I just not talk about it or is there a way to talk about it and acknowledge that, that, that there's just other people that don't fit that. And so we need to recognize that. Yeah. I mean, I have never been in that position either. I think it's, I think it's definitely something that, that should be allowed to be discussed. Um, and I think that, you know, exactly what you said would be great just to say, you know, I recognize that there are people in this room that this maybe doesn't apply to, you know, people who feel kind of outside of this, uh, of re- being able to reach this, um, this ideal that our church teaches. And I want you to just know that I I'm here with you and I love you. And, I think that's really what matters the most, just that just that we feel seen, I guess. I like that. And I've really thought about that on my morning long walks, Colby, of of how to still teach that doctrine, but how to recognize I think sometimes, like you said, we teach that doctrine, it becomes a, we then indirectly or directly take on um same sex marriage as part of propping up our belief about marriages between a man and a woman. But I think we can still teach that doctrine without having to take on another group of people. And I think we can do what we're both kind of saying is um, recognize that we have gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender, Latter-day Saints, that that path may not be possible and recognize the added burden or just the difficulty of their road to stay active members of the church when they don't fit that, that, that goal, that possibility is not within their it may not, you know, within something they can control, especially, you know, if you don't feel like a mixed orientation marriage is your path. Any more mm-hmm. thoughts on that before we move on? No, I thanks for letting me share that part of my story. Yeah, keep telling your story, Colby. We've got, you know, we usually go maybe another 15 minutes. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about moving back to Utah anymore about Kansas City. I'd love you to talk about this FAST meeting in the Granite YSA State Ward here in Salt Lake City at some point. Yeah, so um, my whole goal throughout medical school has been to get back to Utah. Um, you know, my family's here, and like we kind of talked about earlier, I love going out and going canyoneering and exploring the national parks. And so my whole goal was like get back to Utah. And uh, for my fourth year, I was able to get that. Well, it kind of worked out. Um, you know, I, I moved here in, in May. I'm still not with my schedule like totally set up out here in Utah. Um, you know, I still had a couple – a couple of things to work out. Um, but I moved here and like, just kind of having faith and like, okay, well I'm moving out here and making the move. And like, I hope it works out, you know? And, uh, I moved here and maybe about a couple of weeks after I had moved here, I went up to the U, um, because I had emailed them in the past saying, Hey, I'm interested in doing a rotation here, but I, you know, on the website, there's nothing about whether or not I can do one. And, um, this, the coordinator that I talked to, she was like, yeah, you know, we're not, we don't usually take students that are, are not from Utah. We haven't taken any students from out of Utah in the past couple of years, or at least who like don't go to school here in Utah in the past couple of years. Um, and she's like, but feel free to check back in a couple of weeks, you know, and see if that's changed. And 
So I did, but instead of like emailing this time, I was back in Utah at this point. So I was like, I'm just going to go up there and talk to her. That's cool. So I just walked in uh, and talked to her and she was like, oh, we're actually like working on the schedule right now. Like, you want me to go ahead and I can just like try to fit you in here? I was like, yeah, sure. That'd be great. That's so cool. Um, You know, and yeah, it just happened to work out. Um, I just feel like God keeps putting these little, little pieces here every now and then, you know, like, yep, I still got you. I still got you. Um, and so I moved back to, back to Utah, unsure of like what my work schedule would even be like out here. Um, and then I, I also knew that I was going to have to be pretty open with the rest of my family at this point, because now I was moving back. I had come from Florida where I was openly dating men. Um, and eventually my family was going to find out like my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and everybody was going to find out all my family's pretty much here in Utah up in the Ogden area. Um, and so I just moved back and was going to be very open and honest and, um, you know, talk to my parents about how to approach that with my grandparents and, and they kind of brought it up in a family meeting and everybody was like, well, you know, we, we love Colby and, and he's welcome to bring a guy to, to our family parties or whatever, you know, if it gets to that point. And, and, um, you know, it was a huge relief to me. Um, I try to, you know, it's kind of hard. I kind of feel like as a gay member of the church, it's like, I need to talk about my sexuality so that people know that there are people in their ward who are dealing with this and are trying to figure it out. But I feel like at the same time, some of those people might be like, oh, well, he always talks about being gay, you know? And it's like hard to find this balance because you don't want people to think that's all you want to talk about, but you also want to like be visible. And yes. it, it is something that has like drawn me to God throughout my life. And so, yeah, it's a huge part of, of my, of my faith in a sense. Um, you know, it's what's gotten me on my knees and brought me closer to my heavenly father. And, um, so I just, I just moved back and was pretty quiet about it. Um, you know, just, just not really mentioning it unless I felt like it needed to be brought up. I had a hard time finding a roommate out here because when I was in Florida, you know, I would, I would message people and I would be straight up with them. And I would just say like, Hey, um, I'm interested in living here, but I just want to be like totally comfortable bringing a guy back to the apartment, you know, on a date. Um, if I get into a relationship, like I would like to be able to have him spend a night or whatever. And, um, you know, there were a number of, of LDS people who were not comfortable with that. And it was kind of frustrating for me because I think, you know, I'm living all these other principles, you know, I, I don't drink alcohol and, um, you know, I don't party and I go to church every week and I, I do these things and I'm trying my best to be the best you know, or, or how I, how I feel like maybe God wants me to live. And I feel like this is really hard because the people who are trying to live those same standards as me don't want me to live with them. But I ended up meeting my current roommate and, uh, I actually didn't tell him before I moved in. I just was like, Hey, so, um, like I'm active in the church, but like, if I want to have an overnight guest sometime, would that bother you? And he's like, no, it's okay. Like whatever, you know, we all got our things that we struggle with. And I was like, okay, cool. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, he, I was like, I've got a date tonight. And he's like, oh, what's her name? And I was like, oh, actually. And I went ahead and told him that I was gay. And, and he was very receptive to that. And I was like, okay, you know, like my, my brother-in-law is gay. And so, you know, we don't really have a problem with that. And, um, you know, I've been able to talk with him about it. And so after I came out to my roommate, there were a couple of times where I was able to come out to friends in my ward, um, just kind of as it came up organically in our conversations. And I wanted to be more open about it at church, um, but wasn't really sure how to do that. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, I wanted to be more visible and to let other LGBT people know that they aren't alone and to increase awareness, um, like in the other members. Uh, but I wanted to do it in a way that like wouldn't distract from the spirit of any meeting. Uh, I feel like the best way to do that would be to bring it up as part of a conversation like Sunday school or priesthood, but I never really got the chance to do that because I've been traveling so much. You know, I spent 
um, like a month in Arizona, a month in Guatemala, a month in Southern Utah. I was traveling for interviews. So I really just like wasn't here a lot to be able to have that kind of a conversation. Um, I'd also wanted to stand and bear my testimony because I feel like that's a good way to kind of establish yourself in the ward. And I hadn't done that yet because I didn't feel like, I feel like, I felt like I couldn't do that without acknowledging that I'm also gay. Like I didn't want people thinking I'm something that I'm not, you know. Um, te- but testimonies aren't supposed to be about sexuality. They're supposed to be about your faith in God and Jesus Christ. I didn't want people to think that I was like hijacking the meeting to talk about being gay. Um, I hadn't really been open with my bishop at this at this point and wasn't sure how he would respond to finding out this way. So I was just very conflicted about, you know, what's, what's the right way to express my faith without feeling like a hypocrite or projecting myself to be something that I'm not. Um, and eventually things at school settled down for me back at the beginning of March before, you know, the rest of the world went crazy. Um, and I would be in Utah for the rest of the school year. So I decided I was finally going to get up and, and bear my testimony. Um, it, you know, it was just time for me to be completely open and honest and vulnerable. So, uh, the first testimony meeting of March, I got up and just said, um, Hey guys, I'm Colby. A lot of you probably don't know me cause I've been traveling a lot for work. Um, but I've been in the work for about a year and, um, ever since I moved in, I've wanted to come up and bear my testimony, um, every month, but there have been two things that have kind of held me back. Um, and the first is that I feel like, I feel like it makes me look like a better person than I actually am. I'm standing up here. And, and the second is that sometimes I, I feel like as a gay member of the church, my testimony means less or is less valid than everybody else's. Um, but I keep coming to church because I believe in so many of the basic principles that it teaches. Uh, and then I went on to talk about being a child of God and how, you know, I, I believe that God loves every single one of us and there's nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from his love. And I talked about the Book of Mormon and just how if it weren't for the Book of Mormon, I probably wouldn't be a Christian because um, it just teaches so much. Um, it teaches so clearly the role of Jesus Christ in the plan of salvation. And I went on and just kind of bore testimony of the teachings of the church that I felt were true. And, um, you know, kind of got that off my chest and, and it was really well received. I mean, you know, nobody's coming up to me saying, Oh, Hey, you should, I have somebody I should get up with, you know, or set you up with and. Uh, but everybody was just very loving and like, thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for your testimony. Um, we want you to be here. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever really had a, a really terrible reaction to coming out. Um, and then a little bit later, my, my bishop, um, he asked me to, well, let's see. So I'm a ministering companion. Um, and one of the girls that I minister to, she asked for a blessing and she was aware before I had even done this to the Lord, she was aware that I was gay and, um, she asked me and my companion for a blessing. We went up with the bishop. Bishop asked me to like stand in the circle. And I said, I probably shouldn't. Um, he pulled me out of the room for a second and asked, you know, well, why, why not? And, you know, I said, well, I'm not really living the law of chastity right now. And, uh, he's like, okay, well, yeah, maybe you shouldn't stand in the circle. Um, and then later he asked me to like do, uh, well then quarantine happened. So now we're all in quarantine and we're not going to church. And he's asked me to like do a little face video. Um, as part of the faith series that we're doing. So every day, you know, somebody different in the world releases a, a testimony or a musical number or whatever. And, you know, my bishop asked me to actively participate in that. And so I feel like, um, I feel very included in my ward. Um, I feel like very free to be, to openly acknowledge who I am and, and what I believe. And uh, it's been a huge blessing in my life. It's a great story. Um, 
I love the bishop. I love your being honest with him that you didn't feel because you're not keeping the law of chastity, you should be in that circle. I love you just being honest with him and stepping out. And But then I love him recognizing that he could he can still use you to bless other people within the ward. Um, and is finding space for your gifts and attributes and contributions to the body of Christ to be, to occur um, in those, in that example you just shared. And and that you're in, in a sense of belonging that perhaps creates for you, Colby, um, that your identity isn't just somebody that's gay and not living the law of chastity, but somebody that's a, a member of the church doing the best you can in a complicated situation and has wonderful gifts to help that ward grow. And nobody's keeping all the commandments in that YSA ward <laughs> um, yeah. or any ward. And so that's kind of between each individual and the bishop. My covenants don't give me um, the responsibility to sort of evaluate your covenants. That's between you and God and your bishop. And I think our congregations should be a place that everybody feels welcome. There shouldn't be a behavioral belief for to feel welcome in our congregations. There is to like give a blessing. There is to go to the temple. Um, but to be a member of the church and feel a sense of belonging and and be able to contribute is within our doctrine, and I think your bishop's on really good ground, and I love this, what it's, the feeling it's creating for you. You know, it's still a question just how this works long-term for you in the church. You know, if you marry a man, how does that work? Do I stay a member of the church? Do I participate in some way, the same way this bishop's making space for me? Um, I recognize that's probably unanswered questions for you, but I do see... And there's no doctrine that's changed from when I was in YSA wards 30 years ago to what your bishop's doing now. We're just understanding how to, you know, you're not the enemy. Um, we're, we sometimes villainize LGBTQ people. We create this us versus them. And then we meant really bitter people sometimes if they step away from the church. We sort of make them the poster boy for what's bad in society. And that can create a lot of anger towards the church of people that leave and it sounds like in your journey, you really haven't had a negative experience. And you used the word bitter earlier that hasn't really occurred in your journey because there hasn't been sort of church-generated pain come into your life because of some of the actions of people. There may have been some of that, and you have the maturity to navigate that. But to me, it just, I'm grateful that we're making progress, and I'm grateful for these, for not only you, but for good people in your life. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think. Sorry, I didn't say. I think that's really important. That, um, but I, I do feel like you know, people who have had some really bad experiences in the church, I can see why they leave, and I understand that. And I never, you know, want to pressure anybody who's you know a member of the LGBT community to 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 keep coming to church or you know to feel like they have to be here. You know, everybody's got their own path, and I, you know, I feel like if I had had some of those experiences where people were questioning my testimony like outright to my face i'm sure there are, are people that are doing that and I, i'm just not aware of it um but, you know somebody telling me well you just need to have more faith and and this will go away or um you know things like that i i would find it really hard to say and so i do feel very blessed to have church leaders and and friends and people who kind of give me this space to work within you know and and i don't blame anybody who who leaves the church and feels like they they don't want a part of it yeah, that's, and gives you the space to work within. So, yeah, I mean, I had YSAs that weren't keeping the law of chastity straight. And if, you know, I just had a couple of gay people in the ward and I, 
I sort of, you know, I'd invite them always to keep the, all the commandments, but at some point I let them self-determine their own path in life because that's part of the plan of earth, the earth plan. And I just had to let them own sort of self-determine. And I didn't want to make my relationship with them exclusively just commandment keeping. I wanted to be involved in their life and let them sometimes set the agenda for how I could help them and how I could meet their needs the way they sort of defined it. You're 29, a pretty mature guy at this point. Maybe if it's a 14-year-old, I've never been a homeward bishop, that might be a different level of sort of impact. You know, I just feel like you're an adult, and at this point, you know, you know the teachings of the church, and I'd still invite you to live them. But I'd also Mm -hmm. just, I think that's what people in your circle are doing and saying, we're just going to support you as you make your way forward. And we're going to sort of keep you in our circle so you don't feel the pain of rejection or don't feel the pain of, of, you know, that could then mint more anger out of you as you feel more pain. So, and I think certainly I recognize, you know, and this is where I get so tenderhearted. When I was your age, I wasn't in the double bind. Um, Mm -hmm. All this, you know, I look at your career and I was pretty focused on a career. It was a business career in grad school. But all that time I was in grad school, um, and I didn't get married till I was 28, that was all focused on my future, providing for my wife and family. And all that energy, sort of all the mental sort of work I did in those single years was for this time in my life that those long nights and those hard days was for this life I wanted to have as if with a family. And I recognize that you're kind of locked out of those internal conversations if you want to fully participate in the church. If And now that you realize you are gay and that your sexual orientation is drawn towards men. And so I, there's an increased empathy um, that has come into my life for the difficulty of your road. And it's really... And you know that because you're living it. <laughs> and I, I couldn't learn, and I still have more work to do to fully understand, but listening to your story and other stories, of my heart has just grown to recognize how difficult your road is. And and just, so what do we do? We mourn, we bear in comfort, and and, and we do everything we can to, to have you feel a sense of belonging, that we love you and we support you, and we validate how difficult your path is and often how many, a few of answers we really have for you. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's why you coming on this podcast helps our listeners, Colby, because I had to listen to people. I couldn't just listen to straight people to help me understand the complexities of this. I had to listen to, you know, LGBTQ people that have helped me better mm-hmm. understand. Um, just any f- final thoughts you'd like to share? Um, with our listeners? You know, um, this, this quarantine thing, this has kind of got me thinking a lot. You know, I was talking to my mom um, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, she was just saying, Oh, that's so hard to not see people. And, you know, it'd be so much easier. Like if there was, if there was an end point, you know, like if they could just say, yeah. okay, we're going to be done with this social distancing or whatever on May 27th or whatever then it's like, okay, well, I can go to that point. You know, I, I can do this thing at this point, um, up until that point. And then, and then it's easier for me to like, I have an endpoint. I know what I can work towards. 
but she was like, but, but having this idea of like, we don't know when we're going to be able to, to undo this. Like, it's hard for me to live this way. Um, you know, I still want to see people. I want to see you guys. And, um, you know, as I thought about that, I just couldn't help but like compare that to like the LGBTQ experience, you know, um, wow. straight people kind of have an end point, wow. you know, it's like, okay, maybe I can't have sex before I get married. You know, that's kind of out of the, out of the details, but, but once I get married, that's okay. And I, I can live it up until that point, you know, it's going to be hard and it's going to be long, but, but I, maybe I can do it. And even, you know, I make a mistake here and there, you know, I repent, whatever, it's fine. I think about, you know, for gay people, there's not really an end point in the church, right? It's, it's never okay. Um, and, you know, if there were an end point, would that encourage gay men or gay women to like stay in the church, you know, or is there this kind of like, well, there, you know, there's no end point. So I might as well just, I might as well just give up and just like, you know, give in and do whatever I want to do because there's no end point for me. And so I hope that maybe that like, inspire some empathy for people like, yeah, that would be really hard if I had to do that with no end point in sight, you know, um, and have some empathy for people who choose to leave the church, um, and, and not, and not stay. What a really wonderful, um, analogy. Very, very helpful. And I, it resonates with me as I'm feeling, um, I, yeah, I was thinking someday, Someone's going to, I'm going to go somewhere and someone's going to stick a needle in my arm, Colby. I assume it'll be a needle in my arm and it's going to be the vaccine. <laughs> and that mm -hmm. day will happen. I sometimes try to figure out when that would be. And there is that light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but there's a lot of ambiguity because we don't know. But we do know that even coronavirus will end. Um, but I love the parallel to your road. And that's where I get really tenderhearted for the younger people that are facing decades of being alone. And this, the increased emotion, you know, the increased emotional um, challenge that is and the feeling of loneliness and hopelessness and increased su suicidal ideation that occurs, your age group is, and younger ones as they're facing, if they, you know, decades of being alone, if they want to fully participate in the church and if they're gay. And so I think that just builds more empathy and then we are better able to mourn, bear and comfort and if someone steps away, just leave that at the Savior's feet and recognize that these loving heavenly parents we have up there, we do have this wonderful plan of salvation that I think gives us more context for, you know, loving heavenly parents and just leaving that at the Savior's feet when we see someone choose a path that's outside of our church and not conclude right now what that means for their eternal salvation and not conclude right now that there's going to be, quote, empty chairs at the table in the next life, um, and just leave that at the Savior's feet and do what we can do is bear, mourn, and comfort and keep our family circles together, which it sounds like your family's doing. I love this line in your patriarchal blessing. I think you said, live longer. Um, mm -hmm. And I love you referencing your patriarchal blessing and continuing to receive personal revelation from that. And a thought came to my mind is that you're, Obviously, your medical career, that's already happening, um, but you will help people live longer. But Colby, this part of you sharing your journey, I'm on this podcast, and as you continue to talk about it in LDS circles, is going to help other people live longer. You're going to give hope and healing and better understanding. And so it's part of your beautiful life mission. There's, you know, this kind of 
one that's going to have a doctor, it does right now have a doctor and a white coat and whatever that looks like these days. Um, but there's this <laughs> informal ministry that you're part of um, and this podcast and other things you do and you come out and fast and testimony meeting. Even straight people learn from that because they learn the power of being vulnerable and authentic. And so it creates a culture and award often when you're brave enough to come out like that, that other people can say, I need to be more like Colby and be more honest with who I am and what's going on in my life and open up to my bishop about stuff going on in my life because it looks like the bishop's, you know, being pretty kind to Colby and keeping him in the ward. Maybe there's a place for me in the ward too. And so you being authentic with your life helps other people and is part of, I think, your mission to help us all, to help others live longer. Um, any, any last thought before we sign off, Colby? No, uh, I think that we've had a really great conversation. Thanks for letting me be a part of the podcast. Thank you, Colby. And um, so we'll sign off. This is Richard Osler, your host. Tom Garbett, who I rarely give a shout out to, is the guy that we put these podcasts on a Dropbox and Tom Garbett posts them up there and wherever you listen to them and adds a music bed. And we're grateful for him, my producer, but especially for men and women like you're a man, but for all the people that come on the podcast, Colby um, Severing, I'm saying your name right. Thank you. Yep, for that's, correct. that's great. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn and Love.